didn't feel guilty that I was smiling and Clayton and my dad had died. I was like, I'm here, I'm in it. What is this? And I realized it was just joy. So Brian, thank you so much for being on here and talking to me. I know this isn't your first rodeo, so I'll kind of want to leave it to you on where your story goes because I, I don't know too much about it and I kind of prefer to have it a little unknown from my end just because it makes it more natural, which I've said a million times on here. So you mentioned your father and I believe that's not the only person or experience you're going to be discussing, but please, wherever the story may start, feel free to go get after it. Oh, way back in 1978. That was a good year. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh back, actually back in um in 2017 my uh my father passed away in June um and he had been battling uh, when he was younger he worked in a shipyard building ships for the navy just south of Boston and uh he really damaged his back he had moved something the wrong way slipped a disc and that led to uh, 13, 14 surgeries throughout his life, rods in his back, uh, and lots of pain associated with it. Um, growing up in the 80s, the 90s, really great music. <laughs> but that's also when a lot of stuff was coming out that we, we thought was great for people but didn't realize the long-term impact. And opioids became a thing. And my dad was put on those without realizing just the how addictive they could be. And his doctor never took him off it. So for decades, he was on these in some ways much needed because he did, he had chronic back pain. And then that ended up leading to using alcohol. And he just, he didn't take care of his body. He, he was in so much pain and so uncomfortable. So he passed away in his sleep in June of 2017. Um, at the same time, my partner, my late partner, Clayton, who I, you know, I moved down to Florida with, was cleaning up his mom's yard, right? This is the part of the story that throws people. Um, he was cleaning up his mom's yard and ended up, there's plastic under the ground. And down here, that's not unheard of. You put it down, it keeps weeds from coming up. You put sod over the top of it. So he was redoing, it was a brand new house that she bought, redoing her backyard. And he was digging and he saw some plastic. So he reached down to grab it and his hand went through the plastic and pulled out and he was covered in all this slime. So what do most of us do? You wipe it off on your leg real fast. And he pulled the bag out. It was the previous owner's dead dog that was just sitting like basically like a petri dish in this bag in florida just cut it was gross so he cleaned himself off took a shower but where he had wiped his hand on his leg he got a fungal infection so he got ringworm we thought all right you get that in florida not a big deal we'll just put some topical stuff on it and we'll be done well that didn't work it kept spreading all over his leg and started popping up all over his body. So he went to the doctor and they said it was a super strong strain of it. And they put him on antifungals. Well, they didn't check his liver values and they kept upping the dose because it had gone systemic. Now we're into September and I went on a trip for work down to Mexico. And when I came back, he wasn't feeling well and a hurricane was coming through. So I said, well, tomorrow we'll go to the doctor. 
woke up in the morning, I had to go to work and he's, I'm just going to lay on the couch. I said, okay. And I didn't really get text messages back from him for the day, which is odd. So I rushed home and at the end of work and walked in and found him on the couch, completely yellow. He could barely talk, could barely walk. I brought him down and he was six foot three. I had to bring him down three flights of stairs. I'm only five, six. And it you know, I didn't know what was going on. I rushed him to the hospital and we got to the hospital. They immediately brought him to the back. So I knew it was something terrible. Obviously he's yellow. I'm thinking it's his liver. And um, the doctors pulled me aside and they said, we're, we're really sorry, but your friend has acute liver failure. You know, has he ever had this before? I said, no, this, this is so strange, but he's on this medication and his doctors keep upping the dose. But I told them, how come you're not checking the, his liver values? And the, the doctor in the OR backed away from me a little bit. And he goes, what do you do for work? And I said, I, I work with animals. I've been working with aquariums. Like I, I know, I know dolphins wouldn't be put on this dose without getting their liver tested. So I was validating to him what I thought was, this is what, what's happening. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, why don't you leave it up to the doctor's? And I, I'm, I'm sorry about your friend. And I said, well, that's not, that's not my friend. That's my partner. We're eventually going to get married. And he just looked at me and he goes, uh-huh, sorry about your friend and turned around and walked away. So in the middle of finding out that I, right after my dad died, in the middle of finding out that the person I thought I was going to end up marrying was going to die in eight months, I also have a doctor we're in North Florida. <laughs> and I, you know, I also have a doctor basically brushing off our entire relationship because they, you know, they are homophobic. So all of that hit. And I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I went into overdrive in caregiver mode, which turns into care griever mode when they die. And I had eight months with him. So I did anything and everything I could. I, I was drinking three energy drinks a day just to stay awake. I had to go to work full time. His mom could help a little bit, but she's in her late seventies. And so I was just, I, I was doing any, I was a robot. I was a complete robot. Um, and then on April 15th, um, of 2018, I was sitting with him and he was really tired and he told me he was tired. And I said, okay, I understand. And I know that this has to happen. Um, but uh, I told him, I said, today is April 15th. Today is my sister Stephanie's birthday. And he took a deep breath and he said, okay, all right. We'll tell her I said, happy birthday. And I said, okay. And I went to bed and he was at his mom's house because of the three flights of stairs that I lived at. And um, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I had the cat on my chest, my dog laying across my neck, which they never do at about three in the morning. And I got a phone call shortly after that he had passed away. So within 10 months, I lost the two most prominent men in my life. And all of a sudden was completely alone. I mean, I had my friends, my mom was, she had flown down from Boston to at least help me. But you go through that process where you lose somebody. But what people don't realize is it's sad and lonely in the moment, but all these people rush to you. Social media messages, people showing up, people like neighbors checking in on you. And then two weeks later, the magic two weeks of bereavement, everything goes away. And all of a sudden, I was in complete silence. 
with all the time in the world. I had no time when I took care of him. And all of a sudden I had all the time in the world to sit there by myself and realize just how alone I was. Um, And that first year is a fog. The second year is clear and you get angry. And then for me, we got hit with the pandemic and that was a whole nother level of grief on top of it. So that's, that's how it all started. Yeah. It's uh, there's so many layers to that. And I have so many questions. First of all, I'm like pissed off at that doctor. That's a, that's a whole nother side thing that is just completely unnecessary. It's like, it's like extremely infuriating. Um, but besides that asshole, I, you said you felt like a robot, I guess, when you were taking care of Clayton, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then the first year was a fog and you had some time, I guess, um, two weeks later of really kind of realizing what happened. So is that when it all, is that when it all comes crashing down in a sense of maybe some emotions that you've had throughout all this entire, uh, what was it? Like not even a year you said since your dad and Clayton, it was just 10 months. That was, it's actually been four years now. Now, once Clayton passed, how long, how long was the gap between your father and him? 10 months. 10 months, right. I didn't even have time to process my dad, like dying before I had to go right into caregiver mode. Yeah, that's, and that's a, it's a kind of a common question that I have with a lot of people that have either back to back or just grieving in general, when you're taking care of someone, you know, there's other experiences like I had, I wasn't taking care of someone. It was just abrupt. But when you have to take, if somebody had the responsibilities on your plate, it's like you don't have time to really let it process. So it just hits you like a bag of bricks. So is that why that first year was a fog? It was like, did you block it out or did you did you try to process it that first year? I didn't try to block it out because I think, so there's, there's so much to unpack in grief and how all of us go through it. And you, you and I, it's so different, right? Like... It's really interesting. I knew how, and again, like, I can't believe the the storm that's going on outside right now. Um, but I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming eventually with my dad. I mean, we all know. We only have so much time. You don't know if something's going to happen and you're going to get into a car accident, right? That's always kind of there in the back of your mind. But I knew what we were heading towards when I was taking care of him. So I had a little bit of time to process that and get myself ready as ready as you can, which is a blessing and a curse. I have lost people abruptly. That is also horrible. Um, But depending on how you look at it is a blessing or a curse with your grief because you don't want people to suffer and you don't want to see people suffer. So I've known family members that have, you know, we knew that they were very sick and all of a sudden, boom, something happened. And you're like, well, at least they didn't have to go through the pain of months and we didn't have to watch that. Right. So there's gratitude for missing that while grief that you had to deal with what you had. And then for me, I had gratitude that I got the time, but it hurts so bad to watch this six foot three amazing man just wither away into nothing. And I was... I had to make sure his medicine was right. And I had to make sure this, and it was, it was very robotic because if I missed anything, I could have hurt him. I wanted him to last as long as I could. And then when he was gone, it was total shock. And I was, I was waking up probably for a month. I would wake up in the morning and immediately look to the other side of the bed going, 
Am I, I woke up late. Oh gosh, I got to give him his medication. It, it just wasn't quite real. Like I, I was going to bed knowing he was gone and waking up and thinking it was a dream. And so, yeah. So to answer your question, that part was really confusing. Um, and then for a lot of widowed people, uh, the first year is a fog. You just don't know who you are. You don't know what what does a Monday morning feel like being widowed. Then what is a Monday afternoon like? What's twelve oh one and twelve then twelve oh two? It's it's you feel every second as somebody totally different. So you're not aware of the big picture of your life anymore. You're so focused on getting through the next step and the next day that you can't think ahead. And so a lot of us call it, you know, widowed brain or um, widowed fog. And then year two, you've gone through, you've gone through the firsts. So you're not so worried about the first birthdays and the first Christmases and the first uh, anniversaries. So you relax a bit and you put your guard down and that's when the rest of the world opens up because you're not so guarded that you're focusing on all the little things. You you don't worry about them so much because you're like, I made it. I made it through his birthday. <laughs> I'm okay. And you take a breath and then you realize, oh gosh, we're in year, I'm already in year two and the reality hits. And that's when all of the other emotions start to pour out and it's, it becomes real. It becomes, you know, I knew he wasn't coming back. That is when I knew there was no way he was coming back. And it's, it hurt. It hurt. I got very angry, um, very, very angry. And I didn't worry so much about the firsts anymore. I wasn't worried about Christmas. I was worried about going to the grocery store and actually hearing the holiday music. I got mad watching people be happy, which if anybody follows me on social media would be shocked to know that because I love to make people happy. But I was so sad and so hurt that seeing somebody gathering things to create like a holiday dinner hurt my heart so bad. I left an entire grocery shopping cart full and I walked out crying because I just, I couldn't hear it. So year one, total fog. Year two, it's real and the emotions get get very strong very fast. And then from your, I mean, from that feeling of anger, obviously it's, I mean, it's extremely natural and normal in many ways, but did you ever question the anger, you know, cause I feel like you're just, I don't know you very well, obviously this were just meeting for the first time, but you seem very grateful. You seem very happy. You seem like you care for other people. So is there any innate response to your own anger thinking, why am I like, not why am I angry, but I don't have a right to be angry. Not, not even a right. I'm saying this horribly, bear with me. But I feel like the question of anger is sometimes you have these feelings through whatever we're going through. And it's like a weird feeling. I feel anger towards other people that have nothing to do with the loss of my partner, even though the reason you gave is justifiable. Like, I feel like I would, I would feel a similar sense of that, but how do you get past that anger or how did you? What I saw myself doing was <laughs> And again, this is going to sound so weird. Nobody likes a pandemic, but wow, did I need it. So yeah, it's to, to dive deeper into f feelings. 
I've always been somebody who is very open and outright about my feelings. When I was younger, I wanted everyone to be happy. I loved to dance when I was a kid. People knew I was gay before I knew, and boy, did I hear about it. And I was, <laughs> I was bullied when I was growing up, and I just... I, I had to deal with a lot of emotions when I was younger. And again, this is where grief turns into gratitude, depending on how you look at it. I had a high school friend, um, my only guy high school friend named Matt, was bullied as much or if not more than me. And his uh, he had a really tough home life. And one day I was going to be, and this, this all ties into how I handle a lot of my emotions. I was supposed to have lunch with him. And he didn't show up. And then our friends were like, he's not at school. And the last class of the day, the principal got on the speaker and he asked the teachers to read an announcement. And the teacher that day read that my friend Matt was gone out of his house. And then his parents sent the police to find him and they found him in his car. He had, um, he had died by suicide. He had taken his own life with a gun and I didn't, know what to do because he was my only guy friend, you know, at that time of my life. And I had such a problem having guy friends because guys didn't want to be around me. I wasn't out. I didn't understand what it was, but there was such value for me in his friendship. And I ended up going, I was sad. Our friends were sad. We ended up going to his, his wake, anybody going to his wake was allowed out of school. And while I sat there and watched his parents and just shattered and his sister, who I was friends with, just shattered. And I said, this is so terrible. I'm so sad that Matt felt this way. But also, like, look what this decision has done to a family. Like, I wish I could have helped him. I wish he knew that he had value and that his emotions were valid. But if he had just worked through them, if I could have just helped him, this could be different. And I sat there and I watched the people that bullied him take the day off of school, walk through, leave, and go to a party. And I was like, you guys literally caused this. And I, so that day solidified to me that no matter how hard my life was, I had value and I was going to make a difference. And again, this is where grief brings gratitude. Of course, I would love if that never happened. I can't change that. So I find value from his loss. And that has gone with me my whole life. I went off on a little tangent, but I think that's really important for people to hear. So when I found myself getting extraordinarily angry at the loss of my dad and Clayton, I was like, do I really need to go through this? Like, I, I I, didn't go to dark, terrible places, but there were times when I was like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do this. And I saw myself getting angry and I did everything I could to stay out of my own head. I kept myself so busy that I wasn't paying attention. I'd feel the anger and then I'd just move on. I'd drop the forget about the cart, forget about having Christmas dinner. I'm by myself. I can't travel because I have to be at work. Screw the holidays. I'm just going to go home. I was mad. And then I went home and I just sat there and I didn't do anything. And it froze me, I guess, is having the anger and not working through it kept me repeating the cycle. I'd go out and I'd get angry again. People at work would be talking about 
like they, they'd complain about their spouse and I would get raging mad, raging, raging mad. And I was like, this isn't okay. And, but I didn't deal with it. I didn't sit down and deal with it. But the pandemic made me. <laughs> Everything shut down. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't see anything. I had to go to work because I take care of animals. So we had to go in, keep distance from people, take care of the animals, go home. And there I was. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing I could do. Social media was it. Everyone was angry on Facebook. Everyone was getting like, you had to be super popular and everything curated on Instagram to matter. Like, so I was like, I don't want to see people fighting. I don't want families fighting. You guys don't even know what you have. I was feeling so mad. And I just, I took a a little bit of a break and I sat there and I was like, it's just me. This is it. I can't do anything. I got to deal with this. Okay. Why are you so angry? And I, I had a big conversation with myself about it. And until I did that, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't, I was going to stay in the cycle of depression and anger. But until I sat there and I said, Brian, why? And I went, I'm angry because he's gone. I'm angry because I don't deserve this. I'm angry because my dad's gone. Like I'm mad. I want to punch somebody. I screamed at like my neighbors probably thought (laughs) what's going on. I yelled at the universe, (laughs) God, whatever. I laid it out there. I laid out every emotion and I got it off my chest. And then when I finished yelling, I stopped and I said, you have every right to feel that way. And I'm sorry that you feel that way and you're going to be okay. I had to say that to myself. And as soon as I did, it was like a weight got lifted off of me. I still felt the grief, but I was like, I got it out. I got it out. And that's, that was the first thing that I did was I validated that I was allowed to feel that way. I was allowed to be in the sadness and hurt and pain because once I said, this is where you are, you are right to feel like this, I could move forward. And that triggered everything that's happened now since 2020, which has been unbelievable. So so just just to recap that, because I think it's really important that people really grasp the, the process of when people say, when you say working through it, I, I feel like that could have a different definition for a lot of people in the process people do it. So for you, it was the level of, cause you said, sorry, level of forgiving yourself for feeling the certain way is that, that was the real lift off your shoulders. Yeah. I think that we are taught when we're younger society in general, you know, push it down you got to get through the day. We're in this world, which is changing, where you've got to get up, you're owned for 40 hours a day, go do your thing. Don't put, you know, your dirty laundry out there. Um, Some of your dirty laundry, maybe you want to keep it. (laughs) But, you know, don't like grief and sadness and emotions are shamed, especially for guys, especially for men. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's, you you fall and they're like, it's okay. Stop crying. Like, no, that really hurt. Like you don't want to, you don't want to pad somebody in life where, you know, they're worried and everything is a trigger. That's not good. You have to function. You have to be able to get through and you have to be in a grown up and an adult, but there's an, a way, there's a way to handle it. So there's that side of things where society tells you that, you know, no, keep it to yourself. Don't share, which brings shame. And then there's, there's grief, guilt, 
where you say, why was it them and not me? Like why I don't deserve to be happy because they're dead, Um, which is okay. That's a normal thought. However, the other side of that is you have a chance to live and they wouldn't want you to not live. And so working through that, working through the emotions of the loss, working through worrying about what people would think because I'm sharing and I'm feeling, and then working through the, the care, care griever guilt, that's a, that's a big bundle. And I had to unpack it and I had to pick each thing up and I had to do them one at a time. And I had to say, you know, this isn't right. I'm allowed to feel this way, but also I'm, I took care of somebody who was dying. Like that shows I'm allowed to be proud of the fact that I really am an honorable person. And when I started to speak to myself that way, that's when everything started to change. That is when everything started to change for me. Yeah. And it's that, that, that perspective shift, you know, whether there's trauma or whatever, that's, that's such a big deal in the way we look at things. And that I feel like it is, it can be like a, literally a light switch when something clicks and it just shifts your perspective on something like you and also realizing the balancing act that like you just said which i think is literally hits the nail on the head that it's okay to feel like this it doesn't it's like it's okay whatever like literally almost whatever it is it's okay to feel like that because you never know how the hell you're going to respond to something like this but the way you artfully work through it and kind of like deduce from each thing you ask the question okay if this then why you kind of like had a domino effect that led you to the answer and it takes time but a lot of people don't which is which is sad that some people don't even get to that point where you are a lot of people just kind of sulk in it and that's when it gets that's when it gets really sad for me because i think there comes a point where it's okay to feel sad and whatever you feel but there also is a point where you can't carry that baggage and you have to in a sense let it go and I was at the prior episode, I spoke to Bruce Lipton, who's a kind of a big idol of mine. And he kind of explained this the same way. It's like, you got at some point, you do got to let go of that baggage. It's not forgetting the person. It's not, it's not always feeling good, but there is a baggage that you do got to kind of drop off. And I feel like that's the experience that you had when you had that epiphany moment of forgiving yourself that kind of carried you through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's exact. that's exactly what it is. You, you, you bring this weight along with you thinking that you have to have, you have to have this immense sadness, depression associated with it. You're always going to miss the person, right? Right. Like anybody listening to this, whatever you do, please don't say, have you moved on? (laughs) Don't (laughs) say you mean, you mean, well, you're asking if they're okay, but just, just let's just get rid of that line forever. (laughs) Like I hate it. Have you moved on? No, I have not. Um, and the widowed community is, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's a whole, like, it's, it's a whole other side of things. Widowed people are not treated the same as somebody like somebody who's lost their, lost their father, right? Both of us understand that I can post something maybe on father's day or my dad's birthday or Christmas and say, Hey dad, I miss you. You know, happy holidays in heaven, like whatever, whatever works. Right. And everyone will go, Oh yes. Happy. Like tap, tap, tap. Right. Social media. I love you. And then I have, I have found this year now that I've shared my widowed blog and I do still share about Clayton. I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm engaged to a wonderful man named Devin who is extremely supportive of me and, um, a blessing in disguise, actually. I mean, we can dive into that. I honestly, Clayton brought him to me, but, um, um, people will say to us, 
oh, are you over it yet? Or like, I, everyone knows that I'm engaged. I'll still post my widowed blog because, uh, you know, my story is so weird. We just had Clayton's funeral four years after he passed away because of everything. So my grief timeline is so crazy. Um, but I have shared and people are like, aren't you over it? You have a new person. You should be done and over with it. And the, the examples I use are if somebody loses, if, if a dad loses his child and then has another child, he doesn't forget the first one was there. He doesn't stop honoring the first child. Like if, if our parents, like my mom has a boyfriend now and I, he's a wonderful man. If they get married, he is officially my dad, right? That doesn't mean I stop talking or thinking or missing my dad, right? So it's just, it's really interesting how with the widowed community has to deal with a whole other level of diff- being different. And then on top of it being LGBTQ, like that's a, there's, there's a, there's even more to dive into there, but, um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting the process that we go through. And for me, some of it is my science background. A lot of what we do is fight or flight and you feel like a kid again. You feel like a little kid who is scared and lost. The room is dark. The monsters are going to come out of the closet and as you can yell all you want, but that person's not going to come in the room to turn on the light for you. You got to be strong enough to get out of bed, hope they don't grab you from underneath the covers and flip the light on yourself to realize that you're safe. You have to do that yourself because that person's not coming back to do it. And and when I compartmentalized it and, and analog, like the biology, psychology side of me dealt with it that way, it made way more sense and it made it even easier. And I'm like, I just... I stick with it. Even on the hard days, just stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. So I did. And here I am, this little kid in a room, I got the light on and I'm like, I don't know what to do next. It was the next thing that I did that just completely launched me to where I am right now. The next thing you did? Yeah. The next thing I did. And in that time period where I was like, I'm a little kid again and I'm scared a friend of mine reached out because we were all trapped, <laughs> couldn't go anywhere. She reached out and she's like, I'm worried about you. You need to find you're happy again. You love to dance, but you're all home alone. Have you ever seen this app called TikTok? And I'm like, oh yeah, the one for 12 year old girls. No, not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, I just need you. I just need you to go on there and look, because at least if you're watching people dance, it'll remind you how much you love it. And so I was like, fine. So I downloaded it and I looked through it for a little while. And I went, these people are home. They're by themselves. They're happy. I do love to dance. And so I did my first TikTok and the feeling that I got just dancing and not worrying, just dancing by myself in my house, not caring who was watching. I felt so happy for 30 seconds, 30 seconds. When I was done, I realized I had a smile on my face. And I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel guilty that I was smiling and Clayton and my dad had died. I was like, I'm here. I'm in it. What is this? And I realized it was just joy. It was pure joy. And I generated that. I was the one who generated my own joy. And it clicked. I made myself every single day throughout the whole pandemic. And I still do it to this day. I will find, unless there's something crazy going on and I don't have the time, 
I will find time to do at least one or two dances on Facebook, Instagram reels, whatever, to bring myself joy. And if that helps other people, well, then we're just making the world a better place. And understanding I had that power, I mean, I've had my days when I've been sad, but I can turn that around like that. And it's knowing that is incredible. So for anybody grieving or having a rough time, find something that you remember when you were a child that you did that brought you pure joy. It doesn't matter what it is. Who cares what anybody thinks? That is your, that's the little spark that you need to light the fire, to get whatever it is, wherever you want to go in life. That's it. And you're the only one that can do that. Relight that and your entire world will change. Oh my God. It's, it's, that's literally the perfect way to put this into an outro because I think so many people do feel helpless and they feel like it's always external, external, external when the honesty sounds corny, but the answers within us going to take us is what you're saying to make the change. And I love that touch of going back to the little kid in us because I feel like we're all frigging children that have gone through puberty and just forget about that and forget about those little sparks that have, you know, really bring joy to our life. And you're the perfect example that you can still find joy despite what you go through. So that's exactly why I wanted someone like you or all my guests in general to come on here that have found that joy despite what they have gone through. And you're a perfect example of that. So I want to thank you for sharing that so much, Brian. Sure. Yeah. And, and I if really you want, appreciate it. Of course. Do you, if you, do you want to do a dance right now or should I just save that for later? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not, I ain't putting you on the spot like that. I'm just playing I'm like, around. Hmm, what would I do? I'm like, <laughs> options right now. <laughs> no, we can do. We'll just send people to your uh, to your social media, and we don't have to do a private show right now. So, uh, Brian, thank you so much, man. How, how can people find you? I'll, I'll drop all the links and whatnot. But in case you got any uh, things you want to put out there, if you haven't said it all already, feel free. I mean, I think this is great. I really appreciate what you what you do, and in your own way, just the fact that you have the strength and courage to create a platform like this based out of your own loss um, is really, it's amazing. And I don't know if anybody has said this to you, but uh, the fact that you have gone through the loss that you have, which was terrible, and I can't I can't understand it from, from the kind of loss that you've been through. What you have done and what you have turned around, I can only imagine how proud your dad is because you you are using your grief, you're turning it into gratitude and you are helping so many people and that we oftentimes don't give ourselves credit for what we do when we help others. And so I don't know, we don't know each other very well. I don't know how you treat yourself. <laughs> um, that's a, that's, that's another conversation. I'm on something right now. I don't know. <laughs> we get private, we can have a private therapy, like beer session. Yeah. Let me, let me stop recording now. Okay. No, okay. <laughs> but, Thank um, you, Brian. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, it goes both ways. So thank you for that. You're going to make me a little cheery. So, uh, Thank you for being on here. Um, I can't wait for people to hear this. I know you've been doing this for a little while now, so I hope you continue to do it because you got an incredible story, perspective, and uh, it's just a nice journey for people to see the light, and that's that's really all I want to accomplish. So thank you. <laughs>